Amen. How's everybody doing tonight? All right. Anybody professional boxing fans? Anybody like professional boxing? Got a few that like professional boxing. You know, in the world of professional boxing, it's standard to have boxers practice against each other. It's a kind of a case of steel sharpening steel. If you go into any professional gym where they, where they train boxers, you're going to see a number of things. You're going to see people working out on punching bags. You're going to see people uh, doing a lot of weightlifting, uh, a lot of skipping rope, pressing their foot moves. But what you'll see major in the middle of the gym is a boxing ring. And you're going to see people in there and they're going to be boxing each other, but yet not really landing any hard blows. It's called sparring. This is how boxers train. They get in the ring with another boxer, and they practice certain moves. Mainly what they do is they, the, the, the coach or the boxer, they'll, they'll their next contender, and they'll see what type of moves that he favors where his weak spots might be, and they'll practice offensive and defensive moves in order to be able to compete against that particular person very well. So you're going to see them in there dancing and, and practice throwing blows and not really hurting each other, but just kind of practicing. That's how they get into shape and that's how they get ready. Now this matter of sparring, you know, that is a boxer practicing for a, a, for a match uh, to go against another contender for improving their own output is not limited to the fight game. Sparring is also the engagement in an argument. It's typically the time that is prolonged or repeated, yet without any violence or without any real ill intent. One place where over the centuries uh, this kind of sparring was common was through rabbinic tradition. You see rabbis practicing sparring, who, those who studied Jewish law. It's not uncommon in literature to see rabbis, especially in medieval times, sparring with each other, that is, arguing with each other over biblical texts. Now, I want you to recall in several places in the gospel, what is Jesus referred to as? A rabbi, right? Many places Jesus is referred to as a rabbi. Now, it's a term of respect, uh, and it's, it's denoted that this person who is so addressed is a teacher and a spiritual leader. Keep this in mind that people call Jesus a rabbi, and that one of the rabbinic traditions throughout the ages has been for rabbis to engage in sparring or arguing with other people. And you might go a little bit further in trying to understand the text that we just read, a text that really causes a lot of people a, a little bit of trouble. The presenting problem with this particular passage is that it seems to portray Jesus as treating this Syrophoenician woman really bad. Okay? Texts tell Jesus that he has retreated to an area called Tyre. It's a, a Gentile area, and he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. Jesus, in fact, is preached out, he's prayed out, he's peopled out. 
He is really tired, and he's looking for a place where he can kind of go and hold up a little bit, go and hide a little bit, because he needs some downtime, and more importantly, he needs alone time with who? His father, right? He needs some God time. But somehow the word gets out that he's here. And everybody knows that he is a fantastic healer. And he's in this house in the village. So this woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit, could have been epilepsy, could have been some type of mental condition, comes and asks for his help. And she wants Jesus to cast out the demon. By ordinary standards of the day, what should Jewish Jesus have done with this woman? Just ignored her, right? Should have simply ignored her. First of all, she's a Gentile. And y'all know how Jews and Gentiles got along, right? They didn't. (laughs) Okay? They didn't. Jews hated Gentiles. The only people they hated worse than Gentiles were who? Samaritans. Okay? They did not like Gentiles. The second, not only was she Gentile, but she was a Gentile woman. This was an era and time that it was very improper and inappropriate for a woman to approach a man to whom she is not related. A woman just did not go up to a man who she had no relationship with. Had to be a husband, father, brother, cousin, something, some relationship. Otherwise, it was not accepted. Even more, Jesus is worn out. He's wanting to rest, he's wanting to recharge, and here's this Gentile woman intruding. Given all of that, the response of most people would have been, Go away and leave me alone. Just leave me alone. But what does Jesus say? He says, let the children be fed first. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. His meaning apparently is that his immediate mission is to the Jews. And that it's not right to take what is meant for Jews and throw it to the dogs, mainly the Gentiles. But we modern readers, we look at that, and it sounds horrible, doesn't it? This sounds awful. It actually sounds, well, unchristlike, doesn't it? It sounds... Unchristlike. You know, if we said that to somebody about the gospel, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble, wouldn't we? If I said that to somebody and the gospel, it would be a moving experience. Right? <laughs> because I would be moving. <laughs> it would be the U dash hall syndrome. Pull it up to the door and I'd be on my way. It may help a little bit to know that the word that Jesus used here that's translated dogs is actually a diminutive. 
It's more like puppies. That takes a little bit off the edge off of it, but not a whole lot. Still, is that any way to behave toward a woman who is desperate to have her sick child healed? Here's the thing. It's very possible that we're not hearing the exchange the way the woman heard the exchange. This conversation, if you remember that Jesus is a rabbi, and he loved to engage in sparring conversations, this could have been an invitation, a a teasing banter, or as some called it, an invitation to spar. The point for us to notice today is that if sparring is what's going on, that Jesus comments to her about dogs or puppies, however you want to look at it, is not rude, but it's an invitation for her to become his sparring partner. He's inviting her into a safe argument. And if that's the case, he's not being rude to her. He is actually honoring her by inviting her to engage in an argument, especially with a Jewish man whom she had no relationship with. And in this time... Rabbinical sparring was forbidden for women. And yet Jesus is inviting this woman into an argument. Certainly the woman didn't expect an an invitation like this, but does she hesitate for even a nanosecond to fire right back at him? She answered him, I mean quick, Right away, she didn't have to think, she didn't stop, she didn't pause. She says, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now we can almost see Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. You got it right. Nodding his head in admiration because the woman fires right back at him. Because that's exactly what he was wanting her to do. He tells her to go home because her daughter is healed. Now there's no indication that this woman had any sense of Jesus' divinity. There's no indication that she saw Jesus as the Son of God. But in Scripture, there are several other biblical precedents for sparring with God. Let's take a look at a few examples where people argued with God, they pushed back with God, or as we're talking about today, they sparred with God. And one of those is Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here we find Hannah doing what? Praying and praying and praying and praying over and over and over with God. For most of us, if somebody kept asking the same thing over and over and over and over, what do we tend to call them? You're a pest. You're bothering me. Go away and leave me alone. 
That's the way we feel around our kids around Christmas time when they're asking for the same thing over and over and over and over, right? Be quiet, you bother me. But she finally strikes a deal with God. Hannah sparred with God. Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 33. When God told Abraham of the coming destruction of Sodom, Abraham pushed back against God, didn't he? I'm going to destroy the people because they are horrible, they are immoral, they are disgusting people, and they're all going to die. Well, Lord, just hang on a minute. What if there's 50 in the city who follow you and believe you and they're good? Would you do it for that? No, if there's 50, okay, well, hang on, Lord. What about 45? Do I hear 40? Lord, hang on just a minute. Bear with me. What if there's 30? No, I won't do it for 30. What about, what about 20? You see, hear the sparring going on? The arguing with him? Lord said, I'm going to destroy him. What about 10? That's as low as I'll go, Abraham. <laughs> if there's 10 in the city, I won't destroy it. Then there's the account of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32. An account that really went beyond the verbal sparring, but it became a physical spar, doesn't it? Didn't, didn't it? If I can get my tongue to work. Jacob is the only one that we know of that came fisticuffs with God. Wrestled with God all night. And the only way that God could prevail was he had to put Jacob's hip out of socket. That's pushing back against God, isn't it? That's pushing back. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, 13 through 4, 17. We all know about the time in the burning bush when God called Moses to come and lead his children out of the land of Egypt. Moses spent most of the ensuing conversation doing what? With God. Lord, I can't do it because of this. Okay, well, we'll fix that. Can't do it because of that. Well, okay, we'll fix that. Finally, he gets down to the, the real reason. Lord, I just do it. Send somebody else. He didn't win that argument, but in the process, he got all the help that he needed, didn't he? He got everything he needed to be able to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Judges chapter 6. God called Gideon to lead the Israelites in casting off Midianite oppression. He needed proof from the angel that he was actually from God. Verses 17 through 22 in Judges chapter 6. So, he insisted that God prove himself in a wet, dry fleece test. That he had to, that he demanded that the angel show twice. The second time in reverse order. And then there's the book, the whole book of Habakkuk. 
Okay, if you've never read Habakkuk, take some time to go to this obscure Old Testament prophet and read this book. If nothing else, Habakkuk is a transcript of the prophet disputing with God about God's justice. He's arguing with God about his justice. And in the end, just like Job, he realizes that God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. And sometimes God's justice is far beyond what we can ever comprehend, isn't it? Anybody here fully comprehend God's justice? I know I don't. I doubt that I ever will until I meet him. There's just some things about God that we can't explain, that we can't understand. And God's justice is one of those. In each of these cases, important change took place in the lives of the debaters through their subsequent actions. Abraham learned more about God's expectations and about God's righteousness. Jacob received the divine blessing because of his sparring with God. Moses was able to free his people. Gideon was able to rout the Mennonites. Habakkuk learned about trusting God in the midst of trouble, even when you can't figure God out. So what does that mean for us who may want to be God's sparring partner? For one thing, it's a reminder that questioning, pushing back, expressing doubt, and sometimes even arguing with God are not out of bounds. Folks, it's okay to do that. It's okay to question God. It's okay to push back a little bit. Anybody ever have doubts? about spirituality, about God's plan? You have doubts about that? It's okay to express those doubts. It's okay to talk to God about those things. And sometimes, even in life, it's okay to argue with God. We don't need to fear that we're going to offend Him. God's going to have the final word. He always will. But in the process, we may receive insight. We may receive inspiration. We may receive understanding or blessing. Or if not those things, at least the comfort that comes from having aired our problems and aired our grievances before somebody who's going to listen to us 100%. Even if the answer that we get from God isn't everything that we hoped for. Isn't it good just to have somebody to get things off your chest with? To blow off a little bit of steam? To argue with sometimes? Another thing. This story tells us that speaking plainly to God about things that we don't understand especially about God and God's will, 
Folks, this is still an act of faith. Why else would we be talking to God at all? At least we're still talking to Him, right? We're still having a conversation. Our faith might be thin. Our faith might even be weak. But even in a weakened condition, talking to God, even in these ways, is still a route to truth. What's more, our faith, whether it's weak or strong, becomes a channel through which God can work. After all, isn't that what prayer is there for to begin with? Prayer is not simply just about, dear Lord, thank you for the day, and thank you for my blessings, and thank you for the food, thank you for my family, help the sick, forgive me of my sins. It's not just about that. Real acts of faith are when you get talking with God and God, God, I don't understand. Help me to understand. I don't see God, why, you know, why this is happening or why I have to do this. God, I'm having some doubts about this thing. Help me with my unbelief. Why else would we pray? if not to ask God for understanding, for explanation, for strength. It's not just about thanking God and asking for prayers for the sick and asking for forgiveness. It's about having intimate conversations with Him, isn't it? That's what prayer is all about. That's, and that's why God is God. You know, we read this story, or we read this story about Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman from Mark's Gospel. But it's also recorded in the book of Matthew as well. And in Matthew account, Matthew's account, it adds a little bit of detail that Mark doesn't have in his account. In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, after the woman jabs back about the dogs under the table getting the crumbs, look at what Jesus says. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. Her jabbing back at Jesus was an act of faith. Her arguing with him about the dogs getting the crumbs is an act of faith. It was an act of trust. It was an act of engagement. And for a Gentile woman against a Jewish rabbi, this was risking everything, wasn't it? This was a huge risk for her. But she took it. And Jesus saw it as an act of faith. So, what about God? Or what is God inviting you to spar with him about? What is it that you need to question God about? What doubts do you need to take to God and talk to Him about? What things are troubling you? What things do you not understand? Take some time, if you need to, and spar with Him. Express your doubts. Express your fears. You know, sometimes 
we'll talk about things with our closest friends that we wouldn't talk to God about, don't we? We'll talk about our troubles to our friends. Sometimes the members of our family, but we don't take them to God. We tell, our, we tell the other people about what we're afraid of and what scares us and what we don't understand. And we argue, we'll argue with them and try to get understanding, but we don't ever take them to God. Folks, that's why God is there. If there's something that you need to spar with God about, I invite you to take the time and talk to him. Push back a little bit. Ask. And maybe you'll get some answers. And you'll get some relief for your spiritual life. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If there's something troubling you tonight, if you're in a situation where you're having doubts, you're having trouble understanding, you're having trouble with any aspect of your life, but especially with your spiritual life and sin, we encourage you to take the step to come to Jesus tonight and get things right so that you can have that ability to spar with God. Whatever it is, come while we stand and sing.